1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Father God, thank you for the word. Thank you for this passage. And thank you, Lord, for the truth it contains. I pray now that you will fill me with your spirit. Help me to speak clearly. Uh, First of all, speak to me about this, Lord, I pray. Uh, that it would be uh, real and true in my own heart and life. And I pray also that it would be something that I could convey to others, that they might understand it, that they might believe it, they might receive its truth. I pray for Christians today, Lord, comfort, encourage, and strengthen their hearts. Give them the assurance that they need. Uh, As we look at this passage, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak this morning on the topic of how you can know you're a Christian. And as I thought about that title and as I thought about that topic, I realized that really that's, that's really not exactly what I want to talk about. I come up with titles sometimes and then I think it doesn't really fit as well as I thought it did. A better one would probably be more like evidences that you are a Christian. Evidences that you're saved. Now, I'm not talking about how to get saved, although we'll talk about that a little bit as we always do in any sermon. I don't want to talk about how to get saved, but how, rather how you can be sure. What are the evidences that you would have in your life to indicate that you are? So I'm not speaking today primarily to those who are lost, although if you're here today and you don't know Christ, I hope you listen, because you'll hear the truth in here, and it will apply to you in a way. But I want to speak primarily to those who are saved, those who at some time in their life have trusted Christ as their Savior. And I want to share some thoughts of assurance this morning. Thoughts to help you be sure that when you first trusted Christ, it took It's stuck, and that you are as saved as it's possible for a sinner saved by grace to be. Because, you know, sometimes the fact is, when we're Christians, sometimes we don't feel very saved. And sometimes doubts will creep in. Sometimes, I guess in every Christian's experience, there are moments of wonder and questioning. Am I really saved? Did it really take? And at those times, our key verse points out here that even if we don't feel saved... The reality of our faith is, 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 is not based on our feelings. It's based on God. And God is greater than our feelings. Did you get that from that verse as we read it? By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Did you see that in there? It's not based on our feelings at any one particular moment in time. It's based on God and he is greater than our feelings. The New Living Translation maybe makes that a little bit clearer. The last part of that verse, verse 20, the New Living Translation renders it like this. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. So John wrote this letter to assure believers at just such times, those times when we waver, those times when we question those times when we might have doubts. He stated his purpose in writing the entire letter, and it basically is that. First John chapter 5 and verse 13, I think, is the key verse of this entire book. It says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He wrote so that we would know, so that we would have assurance of our salvation. I think it's some 38 times the word know or some variation of it, is used in this little short book. 
He wrote to provide assurance. And, and interestingly, the very fact that he needed to write that clear back in the first century would indicate to us that this idea of Christians somewhat, sometimes doubting, sometimes coming up against questions, it's not a new thing. It's something that's as old as Christianity itself. And there's a reason, I suppose, why this is particularly of interest to me. I, 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 if you've been here at this church any length of time, you know that I come back and touch on this subject every once in a while. And, and I suppose that's because, personally, it has meaning. It resonates with me. Uh, I've shared my testimony before. I'll share it again. I was saved right there when I was 12 years old right at this, at this altar. And uh, I know now that uh, I was saved when I was 12 years old. But at that particular time, I, uh, I went through this period of many years, well into my early adulthood, when I didn't understand this concept that the Bible teaches and what we oftentimes refer to very simplistically as once saved, always saved. I, I wasn't taught that. I didn't understand that. And frankly, I've not met too many people who young, young Christians who can get their brain around that. It doesn't seem to fit our understanding sometimes. So I couldn't get my mind to grasp it. I, I went through years of doubting whether or not I was really saved. Every time I sinned, as a matter of fact, which to my shame was quite often. The fact is we, we do that, don't we? But uh, I, I would ask Christ to save me and over. But finally, through constant reading of the Bible, I came to understand it. And, and I can say to you now that I believe this truth as much as I believe any truth in Scripture. It is as clear in my brain now, God has helped me with that, to understand that once a person truly trusts Christ, they absolutely are secure and safe in Him. And once I came to that understanding, I knew when I trusted Christ the very first time at 12 years of age, it took, it stuck, it was all that was needed. I came to understand that it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with him. It has nothing to do with whether or not I'm good enough, everything to do with whether he was good enough. I came to understand that when he died on the cross of Calvary, he died for my sins, all of them, past, present, and future. When he said it is finished, he meant it couldn't add anything to his work to get saved, and I can't add anything to his work to keep saved. And that's the truth of Scripture. And I don't believe that my experience is unique. I believe it's common. I think a lot of Christians, men and women, boys and girls who are absolutely saved, have trusted Christ, are going to heaven when they die, still nonetheless come up with these, with these doubts and and wondering about the eternal nature of their salvation. You see, every single person who enters into that saving relationship with Christ is going to have a visit. And that visit is going to come very, very shortly after they have trusted Christ. And you know who's going to come visit? Old Beelzebub is going to come visit. Satan, our adversary, that walketh about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, is going to be right there immediately after you get up from the altar having trusted Christ and whispering in your ear right from the beginning. This really wasn't true this is nonsensical you know this is this didn't really happen and that won't stop he will continue he will continue and so in this letter i think the apostle john gave us some pretty good ammunition that we can fire back at satan when he lobs those things our way i think he shared in this letter a, a number of practical evidences of salvation everything that he's talking about in here is for saved people and i think what he's saying is here are some things that will be true in your life if you are truly saved, there are evidences of the reality of it. When you don't feel saved, well, let's go look at this list of evidences. Is this true? Is this true? Is this true? Is this true? See, you're saved. That's what he's doing in First John 
throughout the entire book. So I want to look at four of those evidences this morning. There's uh, some others in here I think we could, but let's concentrate on four evidences that help us to know that we are, in true, that we are truly saved, that we're safe, that we're secure in Jesus. First of all, you can know you're a Christian because you're trying to live like one. You can know you're a Christian because you're trying to live like one. First John chapter 2 and verse number 3 says, By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Chapter 2 verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And those are a couple of verses. There's others that teach the same truth in this book, that, that you can know you're a Christian because you're trying to live like one. It's an evidence of the reality of your faith. When you desire to live like a Christian, both of those verses I read speak about our lifestyle and teach that simple truth that if you have a desire in your heart to live for Christ, it's an, it's a practical evidence of the reality of your faith. So the question is, are you trying to live like a Christian? Does it matter to you? Do you desire to have a holy life? And are you trying to do that? Are you striving for it? And, of course, all of us are thinking the same thought right off the bat, which is there's, there's a, a, another reality that intrudes here, and that is there's this thing called sin. And we all have this sin problem, don't we? I'd love to live a perfect and holy life. I'd love to obey every one of God's commandments perfectly, but unfortunately we have this thing called sin. And it is true, isn't it? It gets in the way. We all sin. Some of the greatest Christians, maybe the greatest Christians that ever lived, admitted to sin. Paul in Romans chapter 7, described his continuing battle with sin. And so some of the greatest Christians that have ever lived struggled with sin. David, in his great psalm of repentance, Psalm chapter 51, said, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. It's there for all of us. Even the greatest of Christians sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We read that verse all the time. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, There is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. This is not just talking about lost people. We all still struggle with sin, even after we're saved. But there's something in a Christian. Once we're indwelt by the Spirit of God, once we have trusted Christ as our Savior, there's something in a Christian that wants to live for Christ and strives to be like Christ and obey Him. And John listed that. As an evidence of salvation, the fact that we simply want it and strive for it and are trying to live for Christ. And so I think when Satan comes and whispers in your ear and reminds you that, uh, you know what, you must not be saved because look at that, you just sinned. And when he makes you doubt, well, you, you can remind him that you have this evidence. According to my Bible, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And I'm doing to the best of my can, I can with that. And it's an evidence. There was an American painter... His name was John Sargent, and uh, one time he painted a painting. I haven't heard of this guy, so he must not have been very famous. I don't know. But uh, he painted a painting. It was a little painting of a rose. And uh, he, it was considered to be a true masterpiece, this little painting of a rose by John Sargent. And he was offered a tre- tremendous amount of money for it. He could have been an instant success and, and really improved his, his career. But he was so enamored with that painting of a rose that he had painted that he refused to part with it. And it is said that, you know, when he would come across doubts about his abilities as a painter, or he would begin to, you know, question, you know, I'm not very successful at this, he would just look at that painting of a rose, and he'd say, I painted that. And it would give him encouragement. 
and it would give him assurance that he was still a painter. And, you know, I think the same is true of us. We look at our life and we say, you know what, I may not be the best Christian, but I'm trying to be one. And it's evidence. Now, now I want to be clear about something. I want to be as clear as I can be. I am not saying that a person is saved by works. But I am saying that works after salvation provide evidence and assurity of the reality of our faith. Is that clear? A person is not saved by works. But after salvation, works provide evidence and assurance of the reality of your salvation. Do I need to say that a third time? I don't want anybody walking out of here saying preachers preaching that we're saved by works. Because I'm not. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8 says it very, very plainly. We quote it all the time. By grace you have been saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We always quote that. And we quote it to say that you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith. And then we stop. But the Bible doesn't stop there. The very next verse says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the rest of the passage reminds us that if we are saved, there will be evidence in our life, and that evidence will be those works, and we can look at those works and say, well, it's evidence. Not absolute proof, but it's evidence. So you can know you're a Christian because you're trying to live like one. Number two, you can know you're a Christian because you love other Christians. Because you love other Christians. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. 1 John 2, 9, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Jump down to verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. One more, chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And so one of the evidences of the reality of our salvation is when we love believers. We love Christians. We want to be around them. You know, you, you might not know this. This might, be, this might be news to you. I don't know, but uh, uh, newsflash, the world doesn't like Christians. Are, 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 are you aware of that? The world doesn't like Christians. Not at all. We know this for a couple of reasons. We know this because the Bible says so. John did say it here in First John chapter 3 and verse 13. He said, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We shouldn't be surprised by it because the Bible warned us about it. And there's other places we could look and see the same thought. But we also know it experientially. The persecution of Christians is a very well-documented fact. Pick up a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs and weep as you read what people have gone through down through the ages for their faith. But that's ancient history. I just received something the other day. We talked about it a little bit on Wednesday night in prayer meeting about the fact. Uh, I can't remember the organization that came out with this, this uh, report, but it was talking about the status of persecution of Christians in our world in 2014. And they plainly stated that it's the worst year in, in history. There's never been a year when there's been more persecution of Christians than there was in 2014. I can't remember how many thousands died for their faith in 2014. In Nigeria alone. Thousands of people were martyred for their faith. 
But this report goes on to talk about the fact it's not just persecution as we would think of it in the ultimate. People dying, being martyred for their faith. But the, the level of intolerance, the level of hatred, the level of, uh, of, of, of not putting up with Christianity in any way, shape, or form is growing everywhere, even in supposedly Christian nations like ours. The world doesn't love Christians. And the reason the world doesn't love Christians is because it loves its own kind. You've heard the saying, haven't you, that birds of a feather flock together? I don't remember who said that first, but somebody did. We've all heard it. And Christians are different. We're peculiar people, the Bible calls us. And looking out across this room, I agree with that. We're peculiar people. And you can say the same thing back to me. That's fine. Christians are different, and so the world doesn't like them. The world likes the world because the world, well, the world is sinners. Sinners like sinners. And they flock together. And, you know, we see that principle everywhere, that birds of a feather flock together. You know, when people come to various situations in their life, you know what they do? They seek out people that are in the same situation. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to counsel somebody who is facing something like divorce. They're about to make some big choice like that in their life, which, you know, they really need to think and pray hard about. Uh, and they'll talk maybe to Christians for about ten seconds. And then they will seek out every other friend that they can think of that's been through a divorce. That's where they'll go for their advice. Uh, it's, it's, this, it's this principle. We tend to seek out people who are like us. We do the same thing in the church. We come up with all kinds of ministries based on various interest groups. We have a teen ministry. We, 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 we see uh, divorce ministries in churches, singles ministries in churches, all kinds of things like that. Grief share ministries in churches. I'm not saying these are wrong things. They're just indications of how this is true. Birds of a feather flock together. And so the fact that Christians like other Christians is an evidence that they are indeed a Christian. It's an evidence of salvation. That's what John's saying. I can testify again to this, to this fact. Throughout my Christian experiences, both during ups and downs, good times, bad times, highs and lows, I have always, always preferred to be around Christians. I just, I like Christians. I like you guys for some reason. But that's an evidence. It's an evidence of salvation. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So we can know because we like Christians. Here's another, another reason, number three. You can know that you're a Christian because you believe the Christian message. Because you believe the Christian message. Uh, chapter 4, verse 15 of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in him, and he in God. Chapter 5, verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Chapter 4, verse 16, and we have known and believed. So you can know you're a Christian because you believe the Christian message. Paul told Titus, God can't lie. Titus chapter 1, verse number 2, God cannot lie. Charles Stanley, one time in one of his messages, he said this. He said, think about this. He said, if our salvation is not secure, how could Jesus say, and they shall never perish in John chapter 10 and verse 28? If even one man or woman receives eternal life and then forfeits it through sin or apostasy, will they not perish? And by doing so, do they not make Jesus' words a lie? See, God can't lie. And so we are safe. We are secure if we believe. God says repeatedly that if we believe, we are saved. John chapter 3 and verse 16, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. God can't lie. If we believe that message, we are safe. Acts chapter 16 and verse 31. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. John chapter 3 and verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, there is, of course, two, two ways to look at this matter of believing. We've talked about this before. There is a point in time aspect to it. Every once in a while I come across somebody and I'll ask them, have you, have you been saved? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? And they'll say, oh, I've always been a Christian. I've always believed. No, you have not. That is simply not true. If you might think it's true, but that's that devil whispering in your ear. It's not true. None of us is born believing. We have to come to a place where we recognize we're lost. That's the point in time aspect of it. And we have to say, yes, Lord, I see it now. I believe it and trust Christ as our Savior. It's that aspect of it. But there is an also, also an aspect of this truth that is ongoing. In other words, if you are a Christian, you'll keep believing. You won't stop believing. Every once in a while you'll come across somebody who says, I used to believe, I don't believe anymore. No, you never believed. That's not true. The Bible teaches, and John teaches, and all throughout Scripture teaches, that if a person believes, they'll never stop believing. There's a doctrine that is named for this called the perseverance of the saints. You simply will not stop believing. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior. Doesn't mean you won't have doubts. Doesn't mean you won't have times when you backslide. Doesn't mean you won't have times when you drift away. But you'll come home. You will keep believing. Let me share another word of personal testimony about this one, you know. Uh, you probably all look at me and think I'm some great Christian, don't you? But the fact is, I have been through some of the... I've been through some highs in my Christian life, but I've also been through some of the lowest lows a person could have in their Christian walk. You know, there have been times when my Christian life was almost invisible. And there have been times when I have been so backslid that I am sure that my dearest friends and family doubted whether I was saved at all. And probably many of you could say amen to that. You've probably been there too. There have been times that I think the only reason I remain alive on this earth is because of the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I can also say this. In those periods when I was drifted as far away from God as it's possible for anybody to be, I still believed. I can even think of times perhaps when I tried not to, and, and I couldn't. I still believed. It's evidence of salvation. You will not be able to not believe. It'll be in there. You'll know it's true. And in recent days, with the loss that I've suffered and all of the pain of that, I can say that the same thing holds true. I have believed. I continue to believe. It's evidence of salvation. And Christian, if it's true in your life, if you look and you say, I can't help it. I just, I, just, I just know it's true. I believe it. God did that. He put that there. There may be doubts, but those doubts are always going to be pushed aside by the deep belief of a true Christian. You won't stop believing. If you know anything about psychology, you've probably heard the name Carl Rogers. Carl Rogers, he was a U.S. psychologist. He was 22 years old when he entered Union Theological Seminary in New York. I always hate these kind of stories coming out of seminaries. They make me sad. But he entered Union Theological Seminary. And while there, he participated in a seminar organized to explore religious doubts. And here's what Carl Rogers later said of the group. He said this, quote, The majority of members, in thinking their way through questions they had raised, 
thought themselves right out of religious work, and I was one. End quote. In other words, he said, once I really thought about it, I couldn't believe anymore. But the fact is, he never believed in the first place. He wasn't a true believer. Another place, John says that they went out from us because they were not of us. That's the truth of it. A person who is a true Christian will believe. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and we have known and believed. It's evidence. Number four, and with this we'll be done. You can know that you're a Christian because you believe the book. Because you believe the Christian book. I said uh, earlier on in the introduction that the key verse to John, 1 John is, is chapter 5 and verse 13. He said, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. These things I have written to you, that you may know, and that you may continue to know. And so you can know you're a Christian, because you believe the book. The Bible tells us how to be saved. We believed it. When we were saved, we believed it when we heard it. And now when doubts creep in, we just need to go right back to the same place. Read the same thing. Reread the book. G. Campbell Morgan was a, a preacher some years ago. He had already enjoyed some success as a preacher and evangelist by the time he was 19 years old. But then at the impressionable age of 19, he was attacked by doubts. And he began to question. He started reading guys like Darwin Huxley, some of these others, Herbert Spencer, John Tyndall. And as he read their books and he listened to their debates, he became more and more perplexed and began more and more to question what he had been taught. And so he canceled all of his preaching engagements. He put all of those books in a cupboard and locked the door. And he went to the bookstore and he bought himself a new Bible. And he said to himself, quote, I am no longer sure that this is what my father claims it to be, the word of God. But of this I am sure, if it be the word of God, and if I come to it with an unprejudiced and open mind, it will bring assurance to my soul of itself. And he went off and he read it. And the result, in his words, were, that Bible found me, Morgan said. And he went on in 1883, preaching the Word of God with newfound assurance. The Bible is the surest of proofs. You have doubts? Go to the Bible. Go back and read those same things. You believed it in order to get saved. And John said when those doubts come, we can look to what has been written to help us with those doubts, to remind us what we believed and still believe. Read it. Claim it. Believe it. And it will give you the assurance that you need. Phil Cross some of you have heard of Phil Cross. He is a, uh, a gospel songwriter. Uh, had a group called Poet Voices. I think they might be defunct now, but he's still, still out. We tried to get him to come here one time. Phil Cross one time came to a church. Uh, you remember that probably, that I attended. And, and he was giving a testimony in that church. And while he was giving his testimony in that church, he mentioned what he believed was the greatest gospel song that's ever been written. And he said he believed the greatest gospel song that's ever been written is Jesus Loves Me. And I perked up when I heard that. I, I wrote it down because I, I've always believed the same thing. Think about the words of that song. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Everything is in there. You can know you're a Christian because you believe the Christian book. Well, we'll stop there. 
The next time old Beelzebub perches on your shoulder and whispers words of doubt and confusion in your ear. All you need to do is tell him some of these things. Say, devil, (laughs) I'm trying to live like a Christian. According to my Bible, that's evidence. Tell him I love Christians, and only Christians love Christians, so I must be one. Tell him you might make me doubt, devil, but no matter how hard you try, I still believe. And that's evidence. And then, of course, remind him it doesn't matter what you say, devil, because the book says I'm saved. And then tell him to get lost. Christians, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you are safe, you are secure forever and ever. I love that last verse of Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. We used to change the words of that a little bit. We used to change it to say, when we've been there forevermore, bright shining as the sun, no less days than when we first begun. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things.